0: Thanks for joining the Inspired Churches podcast. If this is your first time listening in, we're glad you're here. For more information about our church, visit www.inspiredchurches.com. Now, let's listen to the word from Pastor Philip Muella. So stay tuned at Inspire. We got some beautiful new surprises coming up for worship. And we're just excited to see what God's going to do. If you have your Bibles, um, you can open up to John chapter 10. Who's ready for the word? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready this morning. Um, I mean, not that I'm not ready every week, but I'm definitely ready this morning. And I'm excited. Uh, John chapter 10. And many of you know we've been in the series titled I Am Jesus and we're talking about some seven of the most profound statements Jesus ever made about himself in Scripture. And if you've missed any of the messages, you can go back online. I believe we have the messages up um, on our podcast. And so you can follow us or you can actually go on our Inspire website and find the podcast there. Um, or you can also download our Inspire app for that. Uh, but, yeah, we are in John chapter 10. Now, here's the interesting thing about John chapter 10. Um, John chapter 10 actually contains two I am statements. So of the seven I am statements of Jesus, John chapter 10 um, contains two. Now, the first statement Jesus declares himself to be, he says this, I am the door of the sheep. And then later on, two verses later in that same chapter, Jesus makes the second statement. He says, not only am I the door of the sheep, He says, but I am the good shepherd. Now, both statements are related, and both statements are mentioned together in the same chapter, in the same context. Um, But we'll need to distinguish between the two, because even though they're mentioned in the same chapter, they have different meanings. So this morning's message will kind of be like a two-parter. It'll be this week, and it'll be next week, and uh, it'll allow us to cover that chapter 10, but it will allow us to see the two different statements. Are you guys with me? So um, there the two statements are related, but they're different in meaning, and so I'll make sure I spend some time explaining that. Now like most of the I am statements in John, and if you've been here for the past couple of weeks, you'll know that usually there's a miracle. John calls the miracle a sign. So usually John will write about a miracle or a sign that Jesus performs. And then following that miracle, there will be a discussion or a dialogue. We call a discourse. And so what John does is he helps us understand the gravity and the weight of that miracle by writing a discourse or a discussion. And so what we read in the discussion brings commentary to the deeper meaning behind the miracle. Are you with me? Because miracles in the book of John are called Signs. And signs are awesome, but signs aren't the main thing. Yeah. Are you with me? A sign doesn't scream, look at me. A sign says, look look at something else. Are you with me on that? And so although the miracles are wonderful, we don't get caught up in the miracle because the miracle simply points to the one who brings the miracle. And so the miracle actually tells us a deeper story about the miracle maker. Are y'all, are we good? Okay. I don't want to get into the habit of saying y'all with me. I feel like I'm doing that already. You're like, yes, we are. So, so let's get into the story in John chapter 10. But prior to getting into John chapter 10, uh, like faithful stewards of the scriptures that we are, we have to read what goes on before that. And so I'm going to give you kind of a little synopsis of John chapter 9. And so if you want to scoot right before John chapter 10 to John chapter 9, I'm going to read John 9 verse 6 through 7. After last week, I promised myself I'm not going to yell this week. I feel like it was Mother's Day, and I was like yelling at the moms. Some of your moms never been to church before. Like, we're not going back to that one no more. That's not, that's not how the Mother's Day was supposed to go. So I, today I'm going to lower my decibel a little bit. So John chapter 9, and we're going to read verse 6 and 7. So if you have it, it reads like this. Having said these things... He spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. This is referring to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and he came back seeing. Now, In this story, in chapter 9, Jesus heals a man who was born blind. Now, if you skip through the story and pay attention to the different responses to this miracle, it'll actually help us understand what's going to happen in the next chapter. So we're going to skip through the story briefly. I'm going to tell you that after this man was healed by Jesus, many people begin to discuss in dialogue what exactly went on. If you look at verse 8, you'll see that verse 8 tells us that the man's neighbors are in awe and disbelief. They're looking at each other and saying to themselves, wait a minute. Wasn't this the guy who was born blind? It was like you being born and raised in a neighborhood. And remember, every, you know everybody in the neighborhood. You know all their business. And so you know somebody their whole life, and all of a sudden they come at you, and then something has changed radically. And you're like, wait a minute. Is this the same person that I grew up with across the street? Well, that is, that's what's going on in verse 8. And, and, and so the neighbors are so in awe and disbelief that they're trying to find a natural way to explain how this happened. And some people are so shocked that this blind man now sees that they're thinking to themselves, well, did he have a twin and we didn't know about it? This Surely this can't be the person that we grew up with. Are you with me? Oh, there I go. Verse 13. <laughs> now, if you skip to verse 13, verse 13 tells us, that there were local Pharisees in that city. So the way cities were organized was that every city in Israel had a synagogue, and every synagogue had Pharisees. Pharisees were like the, lead, the religious leaders of the synagogue. Are you with me? So the Pharisees, I'm going to stop, I promise. The Pharisees, the leaders of the synagogue in the city, they looked at this man and they began to ask him questions. But the tone of the questioning was interesting. They weren't curious, but they were a little combat. They were like, um, "What is it?" Com- they were combatants about it. They weren't curious, but they were combatant. They were. They weren't questioning. It was less. It was less curiosity, and it was more interrogation. And so they questioned him, saying things like, "How did this happen to you? Who did this to you? And the person that did this to you, did they know that it was the Sabbath day?" The funny thing about that is the Sabbath day was a law in the Old Testament that said that you couldn't work on the Sabbath day. And so when this man was healed of his blindness and came to the Pharisees to tell them about this miracle, they questioned him. And one of their questions was, well, who healed you? Because, you know, it was the Sabbath day and that's wrong. They were undermining this miracle. They were calling this miracle evil. And they were calling this miracle the result of a sinful man. Whoever did this, whoever prayed for you on the Sabbath day, this miracle is void. It doesn't count. In fact, the person who's probably doing it is a sinful person because they're not obeying the law of the Sabbath. Crazy. Verse 18 tells us, after being bombarded with questions that they still didn't really believe that this man was healed. And they were questioning him, and and, and they were second-guessing him. And so what they did was they asked for his parents. They said, you know what, bring this man's parents. So you have the neighbors that are in disbelief. You have the Pharisees that are questioning and interrogating. And they're like, well, bring in the parents of this man, because we really want to know what's really going on. And so the parents come in, and the Pharisees say to the parents, is this your son? If so... Can you please tell us how does he see? Now, the Bible tells us that the parents were fearing the Pharisees. They feared the Pharisees. And so even though they said he was their son, yes, this is our son, um, and even though they said, yes, this is the same son that was born blind, they refused to answer how it happened. In fact, when the Pharisees said, well, can you tell us how this happened, they said to the Pharisees, we don't know anything more than this. Ask our son. He's old enough. So they kind of throw his son under the bus. Like, he's of age, ask him, don't ask me. It's like a police officer coming to your house. You're like, well, he's 18 now, so whatever he did, that's not on me. You go talk to him, he's in his room. Some of us parents can say amen, right? You ask him. Now, if you remember, I said the parents, the scripture tells us that the parents were afraid. They were afraid. And so where did this fear come from? The reason why everyone was kind of on edge and really reluctant to respond was because it had already been agreed upon beforehand that anyone who confessed Jesus as a miracle worker, as a prophet, or as Christ would be excommunicated from the synagogue. So they were scared to say that Jesus did this miracle because anybody who confessed that Jesus was any type of miracle worker would be excommunicated. What that means is you would be kicked out of the church, That would be like if there was a leadership here at Inspire and we sat down and we came up to you next Sunday and was like, hey, you can't come in here anymore. We have all got together and prayed about it and you are now kicked out. Pretty aggressive. It's a big deal. And so some of you in here, like, all right, see you later. You know, there's another church. Uh, down the street, but here's what I want you to tell, here's what I want to tell you, is the synagogue was a big part of their social atmosphere, it was a huge thing, to be kicked out of the synagogue was to be, to be kicked out of really society, it was to be kicked out, see people, everyone in the city, religion, and, and, and religion, and the social atmosphere of Israel were tied together, so to be kicked out was a big deal, a huge deal, Now, finally after another round of questioning, so the neighbors are in awe. The parents are like, don't look at me. The Pharisees are interrogating. They interrogated the man. Finally after another round of questioning, the man finally gets fed up. The man who was healed finally gets fed up. And listen to what he says in chapter 9, verse 30 through 33. He says this regarding Jesus. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. In other words, with the blind man who had just been healed saying, look, I'm done being interrogated. I'm done being scared. This man is obviously a man of God. All I know is that I was born blind. He came to me, and now I can see. Now, I want you to pay close attention to this. Instead of rejoicing with the man who had just been the recipient of a life-changing miracle, listen to how the Pharisees and the leaders respond to him in verse 34. They answered him. You were born in utter sin, and you think you can teach us something? And then the scripture tells us, and they cast him out. They kicked him out of the synagogue. They excommunicated him out of the church. Can you believe that? They excommunicated the man and banned him from ever returning to the synagogue again. Now, it's in response to this story that Jesus tells a parable in John chapter 10, 1 through 11. Let's read John chapter 10, 1 through 11. Here is what Scripture says. Now, remember, all of that just took place. It's not like, oh, one day later, two months later. This, all of that took place, then Jesus responds here. He says this, John chapter 10, 1 through 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door climbs in by another way. That man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought them out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. But they'll flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said again to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This self-revelation of the door and the good shepherd are interlinked together in this entire chapter. Both statements are given in light of what the Pharisees just did to the man who was healed but kicked out of the synagogue. So for the next two Sundays, like I stated earlier, we're going to separate John 10 into two sections. This morning we're going to cover John 10, 1 through 3, and we're going to call that the parable of the sheep gate. Then we're going to look at John 10, 7 through 10 to further explain the sheep gate. That's going to happen this morning. Next week, we're going to cover John 10, 3 through 5, and we're going to call that parable the parable of the good shepherd. Then we're going to look at John 10, 11 through 18 to explain what the good shepherd means. I said a handful, but you'll understand. Now, because both statements are interlinked, We're going to have to do some overlapping this morning, but our main focus is this statement. Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. Now, let me tell you something a little bit about sheep folds. Now, I'm sure we have any shepherds in the the crowd. No shepherds this morning, right? Right. Well, it's because we live in a time and we live in a place where that's not really uh, a priority here. But back then, in ancient Palestine, shepherds were of premium importance. Now, here's what I want you to know. The job of the shepherd was very important to the Jewish community. Not just from a practical standpoint, but it also had spiritual significance. Their sacred scriptures were full of references of this idea of shepherding. King David, their most celebrated king, was considered the shepherd king of Israel. He was the one who wrote the famous Psalm 23 that starts off by saying, The Lord is my, I shall not. Right. The imagery of shepherding is everywhere in the Old Testament. Shepherds were important because when it came to sheep, they were not very bright. Amen. In fact, without a shepherd, sheep's behavior would be erratic and they would ultimately cause harm to themselves. Isn't that amazing. Sheep were not very, thanks God. Sheep were not very bright, and without a shepherd, they would be erratic and most likely cause harm to themselves routinely. So during the day when it was time to pasture, which meant to feed, they needed a shepherd who would guide them to the place where they could eat. But at night, sheep would be brought in from the pastures, and they would be kept inside a place called a sheepfold. Now, sheep folds were often made of stone walls, like little sheep fortresses, <laughs> and it provided safety and security from wild animals or immoral people who wanted to steal the sheep, harm the sheep, and use them for their own gain. Now, since there was no such thing as barbed wire during that time, what they would do is on top of each stone wall, they would place bushes with thorns. And so it would discourage an intruder from climbing over the walls because they would most likely get stuck. Now, only someone or something with truly evil intentions would consider climbing over that kind of wall. The door of the sheep gate would literally be the only good and proper way to enter into the sheepfold. There was no other way of entrance. The door of the sheep gate was literally the only good and proper way to enter in the sheepfold for both a shepherd and his flock. Now listen to this. The only entrance to the sheepfold, which is the place of protection for the sheep, is by the door, and that door is Jesus Christ. He says, I am the door. There is no other way into this sheep gate but through the door. Jesus says in verse 1, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door. In other words, anybody who chooses to come in another way, he who who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs by another way, he says, that man is a thief and a robber. In other words, he says, now he's talking to the Pharisees. Are y'all with me? He says, if you're truly a shepherd, there's only one proper way to approach the sheep. And that's through the door. Any other way will be seen as a malicious and hostile act towards the flock. This is a direct indictment against the Pharisees. They, this was a direct indictment against the Pharisees who dealt harshly with the man who was healed that day. Jesus calls them. He says, you thieves and you robbers. Because they did not approach the sheep by him, but instead exploited the sheep for their own selfish gain. The Pharisees, who were called to shepherd God's people, did not have any true concerns for the sheep. Instead of rejoicing with the man who had just been miraculously healed from blindness, a man who was supposed to be under their pastoral care, instead of rejoicing with him, they threw him out because he threatened their authority that they had unjustly exercised over the people. So when this poor sheep was wounded from birth, when this poor sheep who was wounded from birth finally received healing, finally received his sight, finally received wholeness, these so-called shepherds didn't rejoice or celebrate with him, but they became increasingly jealous and enraged with the man and jealous and enraged with Jesus who had healed him. What Jesus is essentially telling them is this. What kind of a shepherd are you? You're more concerned with your status and your reputation you are concerned with the welfare and the healing of my sheep. You're not a shepherd at all. You're, in fact, a robber and a thief. You're not exercising your leadership and authority through me, but instead you're trying to go over or around me. This is what evil men with selfish ambitions do to the flock. I want you guys to notice something. Thieves and robbers exploit sheep for greedy gain. You know what I mean? Thief means one who gains by unethical means. Robber denotes how an immoral individual deprives his victim of a possession, taking away something that does not belong to them. True shepherds are not covert. They're not sneaky. They don't come in at night and over the walls. But true shepherds, they walk in through the door where the gatekeeper opens it up to them, and their intentions are made obvious and made known. Hypocrisy and deceit are not characteristics of a shepherd. They are characteristics of a thief and a robber. They hide and cover their motives. I'm reminded of the words of Jesus when he entered the temple in Jerusalem. He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. In other words, he's telling the leaders, he's telling the leaders, you've perverted the purposes of God. You've attributed rules and regulations. You've attributed wrong words. And you've abused your power. And you've said, thus saith the Lord. You've abused my people. You've used my people. You have used and abused and you have said wrong things and you've all done it under my name. You've turned the house of God into a den of thieves. I wonder how many people are out there, even in here for that matter, who have been recipients, who have frustrations with God. Because of a robber and a thief who was posing as a shepherd. I wonder how many sheep we have there that have left flocks because there was a shepherd that was actually exploiting and using for their own gain. Please hear me out. We all make mistakes. Leadership makes mistakes. You hang out with me long enough, you're going to see my mistakes. I want you to know that. So this isn't like, oh, man, let's just pick on the leaders today. But hear me out. I wonder how many of us are suffering inside. How many of us have fear? How many of us have misconceptions because of things that were said or done, all in the name of Jesus? That's why to aspire to be a teacher or a pastor in the church is a sacred thing and is a dangerous thing. Not just anybody, because not just anybody goes through the pastorate. You know, we don't just give out titles. Because to be a shepherd in the, in the fold and in the flock from the Lord is a sacred and dangerous thing. And just because you know a little something or just because you're, you're intelligent in this area or just because you've been in church for this long does not mean that you are called to be the shepherd of a sheep. In fact, to be a teacher in the kingdom of God is something that the Lord warns us. He says, be careful if you want to be a teacher. You're held to a higher accountability. I want you to listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 23:15 as he confronts leadership. Jesus confronts the Pharisees. Listen to what he says. Woe to you teachers of the laws and the Pharise- teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. He says, "You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and then when you're successful, you make them twice the son of hell as you are." I'm going to read that again. Woe to you Jesus gives it, you know, a lot of people think Jesus gives it to the sinners. He hangs out with the sinners. You know the people he gives it to the most? Those people that are in power in church and in synagogue. Right? We're like, get that sinner, get him, beat him up, Jesus. And Jesus looks at you and says, woe to you. You hypocrite you travel over land and sea to win a single convert and when you are when you have succeeded you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are Jesus is not playing when it comes to his flock yeah. 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 now let's step back into John and look at how Jesus further explains the parable remember we said we're going to skip down and look at verse 7 through eight to further understand the parable of the door listen to it John chapter 7 John chapter 10 7 through eight says this Jesus says I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Remember, when the healed man finally got fed up, what happened? He got fed up with the questions of the Pharisees. What did he say? He, he actually broke free of their false authority and no longer intimidated him because he found someone with greater authority. He, was no longer, he no longer had the fear of man in his life because he found somebody who broke free of that fear. He met the door. He experienced the good shepherd in person, live. I could touch the door. I could touch the shepherd. And because of that, he recognized false shepherds immediately. And those false shepherds no longer wielded authority or power over him. And he no longer listened to them. He was no longer intimidated by them. But he moved beyond that. Are you with me? Jesus continues in verse 9. He says, I am the door. Now, I want you to notice there's a shift here. There's a shift in verse 9. He says, I am the door. Here's the shift. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, here's the shift. The shift goes from false shepherds. Now he talks to the sheep. He talks to the shepherds, and now he talks to the sheep. So the sheep are not off the hook. (laughs) Meh. He says, I am the door. (laughs) That was terrible. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Verse 10, the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, I want you to know this is another shift from the so-called shepherds to Satan himself. He says, the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He says, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now I want to take a final look at the door, but I want to look at the door not from the perspective of a shepherd, but from the perspective of a sheep. One final look. Jesus makes this conditional phrase. He says, if anyone enters by the door, if anyone enters. Now, here's what I want you to know. We're all sheep. Jesus is saying there are four blessings that you will get if you enter by the door four blessings the first one he says is this if you enter by the door you shall be saved the Greek word here is so and it indicates a rescue or a deliverance out of danger and into safety this is the blessing of the sheep who enter by Jesus they're forgiven they're healed, they're restored, they overcome sin, and they're delivered from the wrath of God, and they're delivered from the final judgment of God. If you have accepted Christ as your Savior, you have no more fear of judgment. You will not stand before God and be judged on that day because there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says, if you enter by the door, you shall be saved, sheep. Number two, he says, if you enter by the door, you shall go in. You shall go in. The Greek word here is isokomai. It indicates entering in something for an important purpose. He says, if you're my sheep, you'll be saved, and you'll have the luxury of entering into something for a purpose. You see, when the flock comes into the sheepfold, they're safe. They are in the presence of other sheep. They are in the presence of a shepherd. They are in the presence experiencing rest. There's a twofold understanding that I want you to grasp here. First, we, we, full, we won't fully release the blessing of the sheepfold. We won't fully realize the blessing of the sheepfold until that day that Jesus has made all things new. We won't really fully enter into the blessing of the sheepfold until that day where Jesus makes all things new. You see, we are going to eternally be with him as our shepherd one day. In fact, that's what Maria is today. She has entered into the sheepfold. Are you with me? You see, there's a promise. And when you enter into that sheepfold, he will be your shepherd. And there will be no need to fear. There will be no more tears. There will be no more doubt. No more worry. And he himself will wipe away all our tears. And we learned last week, right, there will be no sun and no moon because he himself is our son. The Bible tells us that it will be day constantly. The party's never going to stop. So number one is you will enter in. And on that day, you will be with him. when the Lord takes you. You know, scripture says in Psalm 23, I'm going to go off just a little bit. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in what? Right? And the Bible, continues to tell us, he makes us lie down in what? Green pastures, right? And in, if you continue down Psalm 23, it says this, even though I walk through the what? Valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because my shepherd is with me. Now, a lot of us, and again, we, we're temporal, and I'm temporal, and I think of it that way. A lot of us are like, man, I'm going to, when I walk, when I'm in danger, he's going to be with me. You know what the valley of the shadow of death is? It's a beautiful thing. It's that moment when a Christian is passing away. You're actually facing the valley of death. When you're on your deathbed, you will face the valley of the shadow of death. But if you know the good shepherd, you will fear no evil because he's with you. You know what that paints a beautiful picture of when a saint goes to be with the Lord? I almost feel like the minute we start to die and pass and we start to fear, I feel like the shepherd is going to come and grab our hand and walk us through death. That's powerful. Can you imagine, even even as we mourn Sister Maria, can you imagine when she shut her eyes to go into death, all this suffering was finally over, and the fear of dying. We have so much fear of dying. Can you imagine the moment we start to pass it, that the good shepherd comes in and says, don't worry, I promised you that even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil because I am with you. But now listen, until that day comes, until that day is realized, the church, oh, you knew I was going to go there. The church is the foretaste of this coming glory. It's the place we go into for the purpose of worship, amen? It's the place we go into for the purpose of worship, Keyword: together. Some of you think, well, I can make a church in my own house. No, 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 no. You're not with the flock. You're by yourself. I know that excuse. Until that day is realized, the church is a foretaste of this coming glory. It's a place where we go into for a purpose of worship, but we do it together despite all of our issues. Yeah. Come on. Somebody with no issues say amen. People with issues say amen. Let's just all say amen to that. We go in together despite all of our issues and our annoyances. Amen. Despite all of our sins and all of our excuses, we go into the sheepfold together as a flock. And we experience the abiding presence of God as one flock. Even when we're sitting next to so-and-so annoying and brother annoying, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're experiencing it together. And for a moment, in a transcending moment, all of our weak earthly issues fall. And we worship God together. And look... I have beef, you have beef. All all those Christian people that we have beef with, when we get to heaven, it's not going to matter. Not going to matter. We are going to be in such a celebratory, loving mood. It's like, you know what, I don't even care. I love you. (laughs) I'm being real. You know, I say this every once in a while, but I'm saying the person that we love the most in church conforms us to the image of Christ. But the person that we don't get along with the most also conforms us to the image of Christ. We need both. A lot of us, we want to find a church where we get along with everybody. Well, there's going to be a missing element in your attitude. The Lord can't, you can't, how is he going to produce patience? How is he going to produce kindness? It's easy to love the people that look like you, sound like you, talk like you. But it's the people that don't look like you, don't sound like you, don't talk like you. Even the ones that bug you and bother you. The Lord uses that to conform you into the image of Jesus. I'm preaching to myself. Nobody in here. I, mean, I love y'all. Just kidding. I mean, not just kidding. Not just kidding. But we experience together the abiding presence of God as one flock. Please hear this. It's in the church where we practice submission and community. Submission to our under shepherds who point us to our great shepherd. And community with other sheep who encourage us and hold us accountable in our walk. Where would we be without the body of Christ? They shall be saved. They shall go in. Number three, they shall go out. Oh, we don't just get stuck in the sheepfold. You understand? We're not just stuck in the sheepfold, but we go out. And the Greek word for go out here is ekarkomai. It implies going out of or coming out of something. It can also mean to go forth, to proceed forward, or to even spread abroad. There's a blessing that comes from being a sheep on mission. Knowing God has uniquely tasked us to live a life of a believer, to live a lifestyle of a follower of Christ beyond the fold and in the world. Now take note. In doing this, we might expose ourselves to some dangers and some hazards. But the sheepfold and its enclosure is not the place to carry out God's mission. Jesus said in Matthew ten sixteen, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Jesus is telling this to his disciples, preparing them for persecution, yet encouraging them not to be afraid. Because verse twenty-three and 30, uh, 32 and 33 says, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge them before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. As the flock who enters by the door of Jesus, we are also called not just to hide in there. Let's just stay in here and pray all day until he comes back. We're not called to do that. We're not just called to hide out in places of worship. We're called to go out and experience the blessing of being a church and a people that are on mission. Number four, they will find pasture. Somebody say amen to that. You'll go in, you'll go out, you'll find pasture. The Greek word here is nomé. And it simply means grazing. Grazing. And you know what that means? Pasture grazing, it also can mean growth or increase. Those who go through the door of Jesus Christ will find food and will find increase. You know, we're all hungry for truth. We hunger for what is real. We hunger for what is meaningful. We ask questions like, why are we here and who am I? What's my purpose? And unfortunately, many seek answers from robbers, thieves, and strangers. Where are you getting your answers from? They go through doors and gates of false wisdom, false teaching, and false comfort. We turn to drugs and alcohol, quick fixes and highs to numb the pain and nourish our souls. Yet Jesus Christ is the door, and those who walk in by the door, they'll find food. (laughs) The pasture is also a place of increase and growth. Increasing in spiritual blessing. You can try and look for other shepherds. You can try and look at other doors. You can try and eat at other pastures. But nothing feeds the soul and increases the blessing like Jesus Christ, the living word, and his word here, the scriptures. Now I want to finish. I want to finish right here with this, and I want to tell you something that um, I believe. We're, and we're going to pray out, and we're going to finish. But I really want to—I um, really want to share something with you today um, that I don't think is too politically correct. I love not getting politically correct here, because especially in a time of politics, we're in a Aren't you tired of politics right now? Yeah. Who's, I mean, don't get tired of praying for politics. And, I mean, there's good politics. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we, we as a people, we must fight for justice. We must fight for the cause of those that are, that are oppressed. And we must definitely be good stewards of the cities and the nation that we live in. So don't get me wrong. But I'm just a little tired with politics. I don't know about you, but I don't know what news channel to watch anymore. I feel like it doesn't matter what channel I watch. Everybody got a little something, something, a little too much of something. I don't know who to believe, what to believe. Maybe I'm the only one who feels that way. I'm like, you know what, your Fox News and your CNN, that's fine, but this has got to be the place you got to go. Yeah. Look, at the end of the day, liars are going to liars are gonna raise up. they are going to be Republican liars, amen, because I know we got some demos in here. And there are going to be some demo liars, amen, because I know we got some Republos in here, right? <laughs> liars are going to raise up, but the word is true. And in the last days, you're going to not know who to know. And if you don't have a shepherd, you're going to be confused and everything else is going to lead you astray. You're going to believe everything you read in the Twitter world. Some of you do. I know. I see you reposting. I won't call your name out, though. But it's the word of God. It's the word of God that will tell you where to go, where to run, who to trust. It will not fail you. And when America hits persecution, if we ever do, this will be what we stand on. It will be your only comfort. It will be your only strength. Now, if Jesus ever made a statement that was politically incorrect, this was one. What Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of God is not inclusive, but it's exclusive. That's not politically correct. Wait, isn't it for everybody? No, Jesus says, I am the door. You know what he says? And this is Jesus, so don't get too mad at me. He says this. This is exclusive. He says there's not many ways to get into the sheepfold. There's only one way. God's flock only has one shepherd. It only has one door. And the only way in is by the shepherds through that door, which is Jesus Christ. Now I realize that some in the world may find that discriminatory. They may find that a little bit. They may find bigotry in there. They may even find that a little arrogant that Jesus would declare himself to be the only way. Why do you have a religion that says it's my way or the highway? How prideful and arrogant of your religion. Why believe that a God who's supposed to be that good would only give one way? What kind of a God would do that? But to this, I would simply reply, you say God is arrogant for having one way. But I say humanity is arrogant for demanding a God who humbled himself, came down and died to have several different ways other than the one way that he made. I think we need to hear that again. You say my God is arrogant for having only one way, but I say humanity is arrogant for demanding that a God who humbled himself, came down, was crucified by the very creation that he created. By demanding that that God who has made one way, why don't you have more ways than that? The arrogance of humanity. The pride and sin of humanity. To take the one way, the beautiful way, the way of suffering and to spit on it and reject it and say there's got to be another way. You want to know why humanity rejects the one way? Because with that way comes the demand for holiness. And man does not want to live holy. He doesn't. So he has to find another way. Jesus died for us. And Jesus made this statement, not Philip. He says, if you want to enter in, if you want to go into the place of safety, you have to come by the door. And that door is me. I am the door to the sheepfold. There's no other way. And he says this, if anyone goes any other way, beware. Because that is a robber, that is a thief, that is a stranger. And my sheep know my voice. They don't listen to another. Wow, that kind of scares me a little bit. Some of us in here today, we are a little, we are a little illiterate here, and that's okay. We're biblically illiterate. You're going to hear me talk about the mission of Inspire, some of the things that we do here, right? We try to set up an atmosphere for the Word on Sunday mornings. Then we try to recreate that atmosphere throughout the week. And just in case you work on Wednesdays, we have Wednesday, we have Thursday. And just in case maybe this city is a little too far, we try to, and some of us still find a way. Well, I just can't do it. And I get it. And I get it. I'm not going to beat you up here, but I am going to say this. My sheep know my voice. And so when I speak, they know what I sound like. So when a stranger speaks, they're not going to be, they're not going to listen to a stranger because they know my voice. They know what I sound like. The only way we will know what he sounds like is if we know his word. And so you, and here's what I want to challenge you. Maybe you can't get to Bible study. Then have one in your home and tell you to start a Bible study at your house. Gather your kids around if you can't do it. I get it. Some of us, man, living in the Bay Area, can I get an amen? Wow, the prices are unbelievable. You work 50, 60, 70 hours a week. You got to do this for your family. I get it. But look, if you can't make it to a home group, then you make a home group in your home. Get in your word. Young people, get in your word. Young adults, well, I'm just, I don't want to get in my word. Get in your word. You want to know why? Because you will be fooled by a stranger and a thief because when they speak you won't be familiar with his voice. That's next week's sermon. He's a good shepherd, but he's the door, okay? I said I wasn't I said I wasn't going to yell, but my goodness, I have to. Um, I'm so glad that God has provided a sheepfold here at Inspire Church. I'm so glad. And I'm so glad he's provided beautiful sheepfolds all throughout the city. Different cities. We, we have so many of them. And we have under shepherds, right. Where I'm not the good shepherd. Please don't look at me as a good shepherd. No one is good but one. That's Jesus. But I'm so glad that we have a sheepfold. And so today, every head bowed, every eye closed. I just want to bless us this morning. I know we're running a little behind. But I just want to say a prayer. Bless us this morning. You know, my heart, my, heart is, my heart is not to uh, beat nobody up, but my heart is to be passionate enough to rock people into a sense of urgency. Like, so I hope today you're not feeling beat up, but I, I hope there's a sense of urgency. Your soul is of supreme importance. It's of supreme importance. And some of us, we've just been in a stupor. I'm just going to speak for a second. while Our heads are about, we've been in a little bit of a stupor. I feel like it's just, it's, you're just kind of teeter-tottering. You're just kind of there. And you're kind of numb. It's just a numbness to his word and just a numbness to church. And I've seen it all before and i heard it all before. And, 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 and it's just, and I, I want to rock you with his word. I want to challenge you with the truth. I want to tell you that time is short. Time is short. And I want to love the world and I want to invite everybody. I don't want to shut these doors. I don't want to kick people out. But I do want people to know that the only way they can enter in is by Jesus. I would be a robber and a thief and a stranger if I preached another gospel. And God forbid, if that ever happened, you should leave this church as soon as possible and take as many people with you. So, Father, I just pray for this flock. I just pray for this flock and this house and this sheepfold. And I count myself as one of the sheep. Lord, I pray that we would hear your voice. Lord, I pray that we would walk in by the door. I pray that we wouldn't take for granted your sacrifice. I pray that when the world would try to persecute us or when the world would reject us or try to question us, that we would stand firm, that we would stand in humility. But I pray that we wouldn't lose love for the world. And Lord, I pray that the sheep in here would be saved first and foremost. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, make him your personal Savior. I pray that the sheep would be saved. Number two is I pray that the sheep would go in. I pray that you would make us a safe place, a sheepfold. And I pray that the sheep would go out. I pray that we would go out. I pray that we would look to the world. We would be on mission and we would love the world. We would bring other people to Jesus. And I pray that we would find pasture with your word. I pray we'd gather together in small groups. Even if Philip didn't sanction it, we'd create our own small group. We don't have to wait. I pray we gather in families, we gather as husbands and wives, we gather as single adults. We wouldn't leave anybody out. We would study and know your word more. Make us a church of your word. Lord, I bless everyone in this building today. I bless the mission and the vision and the plans of this church. Take us forward. Take us deeper. May we know you and may we tell others about you. In Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen inspired churches aims to be a church that the city loves we hope you enjoyed this week's sermon come back next week as pastor philip continues on the six-part series for more information about how you can get involved or about our community visit www.inspirechurches.com.